But I want to start the session now. Okay. Jack, my Twitter is filling up with people talking about Pope Francis responding to the Jubia. Now, when I was first becoming a Catholic, people would say over and over again, you know, Francis doesn't respond to the Jubia. Mm. This was a big thing early on Mm -hmm. in my journey. Mm -hmm. Are you bored by this? No, I just hate it. How many times? Well, no, I think... No, I think it's... Listen, we make a real effort not to talk about... Be contemporary. Not to be too contemporary. Are we recording now? Yeah. But I think in this case, the Holy Father has announced quite a long uh, series of responses to questions about the faith, almost exactly in the format that we do on the Catacast. I've read through it, I don't understand, and I thought I'd like my friend Jack to help explain some of that to me, some of the terms being used, Mm. and some of the the things going on behind the scenes. I don't think this is uh, as... so. It's not so ephemeral... As you know, he was on a plane, the Holy Father, and he said this. And blah, 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 blah. Like, this is a, a reasoned response by our Pope mm. to reasoned questions put to our Pope mm-hmm. in the context of the Synod in the life of the church, mm-hmm. which is, as I understand it from quickly reading the Jubia, important. <laughs> so, if we could go through, you know, what are Jubia? Who raised it? How has this been viewed over the last couple of years? And mm. then what are the responses? I think that would be helpful for me. And if it happens to be helpful for other people, so be it. I promise we won't do this sort of clickbait nonsense <sighs> on the regular. Deo gratias. Um, yeah, so... so <laughs> <laughs> um, I think... Okay, so what's a jubia? A jubia is a, is a doubt, right? And it's a, so you would propose jubia to the... To the um, holy office. Isn't that more like an Israeli pint? <laughs> jubia. You would, you would submit as a, as a clergyman of high office. You would submit a jubia around a, a position of, of unclarity. Yes. You would say, I'm unsure about this theological position. So you'd submit it to the to the Vatican and you'd say, "What's the call here?" So is, traditionally, this is done quite discreetly. Okay. Right. Like it's something where it's like, "Oh, we've got." This you don't want to cause a scandal. Got this pastoral problem. We don't know what to do. Yes. Uh, we don't know where the line is. What's the line here? What am I supposed to do, Holy Father? Uh, so, and normally that's dealt with by the the uh, Cong- Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, which is now called the Dicastery of the Doctrine of Faith, which used to be called the Holy Inquisition. Oh. So these are the people who are the, the safeguard of orthodoxy. And uh, Pope Benedict, prior to being Pope Benedict, headed that up. Headed that up. And now... And now Francis has got his own men in there. Okie dokie. Um, so the recent history of the Jubia is that before the sin in the family, I think it was in 2013, 2014, mm. um, a bunch of cardinals submitted some jubia around. Well, because the discussion at that point was about what do we do with like divorced, remarried Catholics? Do we give them communion? And same sex marriage. And same sex marriage was less a problem, but it was around. It was more. It's in the milieu, I'd yeah, say. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, they submitted the jubia. I can't remember what it was about. I think it was about communion, divorced, remarried. And it was never answered, right? But they made a big show about submitting. These juvia and Francis never responded. Didn't acknowledge them, right? Um, which again isn't so unusual. What was unusual was that the cardinals made it public, which he normally wouldn't do, right? Um, and I'm not critical of the cardinals for doing that because it, there was uncertainty, and they were trying to give. But there clarity. is the sense among uh, not that we like a right-left divide, yeah. But among the lefty uh, church felt that this was people on the right of the church trying to do some point scoring and negativity and 
and whip up a scandal so if there possible. are always parties in the church yes right there are always this theological party this theological party and you could probably map them onto a sort of left right dichotomy if you wanted to i don't think that's always fully satisfactory you do it better to go high and low <laughs> possibly but high and low might be another way of describing it but again then you there are ways in which forwards and backwards factions shift around as yeah. well um not as simple as economic principles being argued over no, in a secular it's not as simple as democrat republican yeah right? like it's really not um or liberal labor in australia or something like that um because the other thing is like francis is obviously a catholic right like the, the pope is obviously a catholic and there are he clearly holds the faith. He clearly is the Pope. Um, so it's not as clear as saying, oh, he's a heretic and we're the in crowd, right? But it's also yeah. not as simple as saying, he's a lefty and we're a righty because there are things that he would do or say that would upset people and the progressive. So that's the sort of some of the background yeah. to the Jubia. Yeah. Have you got your phone? Yeah. Bo, 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 so the bo, context bo, here bo, is bo. where, like, as I assume we're going to release this this week. Yeah. The Synod on Synodality is starting in Rome this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a, a synod and synods, a meeting on meetings, basically, a committee for committees. It seems kind of dumb when you say it out loud like that. I think it is kind of dumb. Personally. Jack, they're betraying some of his personal prejudices. Uh, well, you've prejudices. asked me the question, James. Well, so I'm very happy to give well, him it's my... interesting that... So the Pope has answered these from, the what, the previous synod. So that basically what's happened is a, a, a bunch of cardinals, some of whom have previously submitted this public jubia, have submitted these jubia to the, to the Pope and said, we're unsure about these things. And they said they got a reply and they weren't satisfied with the reply. Okay. And so they've resubmitted the questions, right? Yes. Which is very unusual. And then in response to that, the Vatican has publicly released... Oh, so the Pope did reply? Yes, the Pope at, replied. At the time or recently? Yeah, no, well, I, I mean, I think... With it since July or something, right? Okay, I can't remember when. I and they've said we don't like these answers. They've said we're not satisfied with the answers, so we we public and now they've come out and said, "Hey, we've submitted this jubilee. We got a response. We didn't like it. We're yep. doing it again." In response to that, the Vatican's come out very sassily and published their response that they've already given. Okay, so this is the it was intended as a private response. Yeah, and then these bishops have uh, well, the cardinals have kind of kicked up a fuss about it. Yeah, the Vatican on behalf of the Pope, obviously, has kind of sassily gone, well, actually, we're going to publish the responses. All right. So I'll they would read, normally wouldn't do. We begin with, uh, and this is on the Vatican News. Sure. All right. So he begins, Dear brothers, although I believe it is not always prudent to respond to questions directly addressed to me, and it would be impossible to answer all of them in this case, given the proximity of the synod, I have deemed it appropriate to do so. So the reasoning is we've got a synod coming up, and so I'm answering these questions. I don't fully understand. They're not questions about the synod on synodality, so I don't see why you no, would have to answer them. No, they're questions related to the what synod? the synod's going to talk about. Okay, right? Like, yeah. But the the dubia that people used to talk about with Cardinal Zen and all the other cardinals, mm. these are those the same dubia that have been outstanding for a long time. No, different ones. Different ones. Okay, ones. overlapping in some cases. Yes. All right. So those old ones, still no response. Still no response. But on these new jubia, which have some things in common the with the old the Holy Father's signalling there, right? Like, I yep. don't like the response to this stuff, which is why he didn't do it before. Yep. So he's, he's pointing to that already. Straight okay. out of the gate. He's going, 
I didn't respond to it then. You've already done this. Because you shouldn't. I don't like to answer publicly about these things because they should be sort of kept in-house. But given you're being such a big pain in my neck, I'm going to give you the answer. All right. One, this is the dubium regarding the assertion that the divine revelation should be reinterpreted based on current cultural and anthropological changes. Uh, I'll just start reading them out because you're smoking. <clears throat> Following the statements of some bishops, which have neither been corrected nor retracted, we ask whether the divine revelation should be reinterpreted in the church according to the cultural changes of our time and the new anthropological vision promoted by these changes, or if, on the contrary, the divine revelation is binding forever, immutable, and therefore not to be contradicted in accordance with the dictum of the Second Vatican Council, which states that the obedience of faith must be given to God who reveals, de verbum 5, that what is revealed for the salvation of all nations must remain forever whole and alive and be handed on to all generations and that progress, and I'll just interrupt here by going yeah, pretty, pretty clear which of these they think it should come down on. Of course. Yeah. Um, and that progress in understanding does not imply any change in the truth of things and words because faith is handed on once and for all and the church's magisterium is not above the word of God but only teaches what has been handed on. Mm. Do you want to, before we go into the response to that, uh, unpack what that very, 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 very long sentence might be referring to? I mean, I think it's probably in reference to the German bishops um, and I think they'll ask more specific questions as they go. Yeah. Um, around the German bishops' blessing of same-sex unions. Right. Which the German bishops have started to do. Um, and so, and they've done this, the way that they've justified this is by saying we're applying it to a cultural context, all this sort of stuff. There's a sort of like theological... Several cultures were being gay was not good, but now I like it. It's this new hip gay. Yeah, so there is a... The theological trajectory here is that Vatican II has, um, or the spirit of it, has has allowed us to, uh, like, essentially instantiate church teaching in, in new ways. That's, that's, like, that's how the German bishops justified doing it, right? Where they're going, well, actually, the overriding message of Christ is one of love, love. and acceptance. And so we, we're not going to look at all these dogmas. So we're we going can, to reinterpret and, it. And these things can be developed into something different mm -hmm. or well, they wouldn't say different. They can be developed to a new idea, um, which is like blessing of same sex couples. So this is like, they're, they're not saying that, but they're clearly, this is what is being they're clearly to. pointing to that, right? They're going, okay, well, people are justifying it by these anthropological, sociological differences, changes that are, people are experiencing. Can you do that or is that illegitimate? Yeah. And they're clearly coming down the side of like, it seems pretty illegitimate. Yeah, I mean, that does seem to be the tone. So here's the Francis's uh, response. Yeah. And if you would, um, I guess I'll, I'll start reading it and I'll ask questions when I don't understand. Okay. Okay, the answer depends on the meaning you give to the word reinterpret. If it is understood as interpret better, the expression is valid. In this sense, the Second Vatican Council affirmed that it is necessary that, the, uh, that with the work of exegetes, so Those who explainers study of the text... Yeah. Uh, and I would add theologians, quote, the judgment of the church may mature. Uh, so that seems pretty uncontroversial that doctrine can develop. Is, we believe that doctrine that can develop. Said? Yeah, well, I mean, no. So he's responding with 
yes, doctrine can develop, which they would believe. But what they're asking is, can it develop to a point... Where it would be unrecognisable and change? Yeah. And he's saying, yeah, if it, if it gets better. Yeah, but what does better mean? Well, hope, hopefully he's, hopefully that comes out I'm very sure soon. I'm sure it will. Have you read through these yet? No. This is the first time I'm hearing them, Jimmy. Oh, gee. Live and on air. Therefore... So anytime you want to wince or jump in, feel free. I, I believe I'm wincing quite publicly. Therefore, while it is true that the divine revelation is immutable and always binding, the church must be humble and recognize that she never exhausts its unfathomable richness and needs to grow in her understanding. Mm-hmm. See, conse- consequently, she also matures in her understanding of what she has herself affirmed in her magisterium. Right matures in her understanding of what has herself affirmed. Right. Okay. So not changing, but maturing in the understanding of what yeah. she's previously yeah. Right. D, cultural changes and new challenges in history do not modify revelation, but can stimulate us to express certain aspects of its overflowing richness better, which always offers more. Mm. E, it is inevitable that this can lead to a better expression of some past statements of the magisterium, and indeed, this has been the case throughout history. F, on the one hand, it is true that the magisterium is not superior to the word of God, but it is also true that both the texts of the scripture and the testimonies of tradition require interpretation in order to distinguish their perennial substance from cultural conditioning. This is evident, for example, in biblical texts, such as Exodus 21.20-21, and in some magisterial interventions that tolerated slavery, which we've actually discussed at length. Mm. Not on this podcast. (laughs) Privately, when I've had too much to drink. This is not a minor issue, given its intimate connection with the perennial truth of the inalienable dignity of the human person. These texts need interpretation. The same applies to certain considerations in the New Testament regarding women, 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy, and other texts of scripture and testimonies of tradition that cannot be materially repeated today. Uh-huh. Can you explain any of that? Uh, any thoughts? I have it many seems, thoughts, all right. Jimmy. Yeah. Well, that's that gets us up to F. Shall I just do the full response? I think just do the full response. G, it is important to emphasize that what cannot change is what has been revealed for the salvation of all, quote, Second Vatican Council. Therefore, the church must cons- constantly discern between what is essential for salvation and what is secondary or less directly connected with this goal. In this regard, I would like to recall what St. Thomas Aquinas affirmed, the more one descends to matters of detail, the more frequently we encounter defects. Mm. H, finally, a single formulation of a truth can never be adequately understood if it is presented in isolation, detached from the rich and harmonious context of the entire revelation. The hierarchy of truths also implies pacing, placing each of them in proper connection with the central truths and with the entirety of the church's teaching. That sounds a lot like something you say while mm-hmm. we're doing the pod. So he's just sort of an anti-fundamentalist point of view there. Yep. 
This can ultimately lead to different ways of presenting the same doctrine, even though, quote, for those who long for a monolithic body of doctrine guarded by all and leaving no room for nuance, this might appear as undesirable and leading to confusion. But in fact, such variety serves to bring out and develop different facets of the inexhaustible riches of the gospel. That's, that's Amoris Laetitia. It's Evangelii Gaudium. Yeah, it's one of his, yeah. Every so they're using Benedict. No, no, no. They're yes. using Francis. Francis, oh, is, Francis, quoting Francis. is quoting himself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's important that even Pope uh, constantly <laughs> re-examine right. his yeah. previous pronouncements. Every theological current has its risks, but also its opportunities. Yeah. So I mean, this is all very abstract. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This is all very conceptual. Good luck pinning a single thing there down to a, an approval or a denunciation. Right, and I can see why the Cardinals were not super satisfied, but also there's probably not much more you could hope for from a response. Um, it's, I'll put it like this. I think that every generation in the church faces its own theological controversy, right? There's always something at play, right? And and people can tend to... Different sins, different crises. People can tend to look at church history and just sort of think, well, the Catholic Church is the same all the way through because that's sometimes how it presents itself. Yes. But clearly when you read into it, that's not what's happening, right? There are, there are always intense debates going on within the church. The intense debate that is currently happening in the church is around specifically this stuff, right? Is around how do we apply, take the church's teaching and apply it to modern situations. And this has been going on since Vatican II, right? This was like... The very reason Vatican II was called, John the Twenty Third, when he said, um, called the council, he said, you know, like what we've got to do is we're going to throw open the windows of the church in order not to change any doctrine. Let the Holy Spirit in, but because we've got to, yeah, and we've got to go out into the world. Yes, and Francis is very much in that, yeah, trajectory. I suppose he's he's attempting to do this in a in a far more radical way than it has been attempted before. Um, so they're asking, well, what's the line here? And he's giving them a basically a very orthodox response conceptually but mm. it still kind of leaves it very vague about what that's going to look like and i think that's what they were looking for right they were well what for is that what is necessary for salvation and what is not what are you willing to hack away at and what is sacrosanct and so of course the development of doctrine principle which the church does affirm and it comes from um you know best articulated by john henry newman who's now a saint um is things like well you know, the church develops the doctrine of the Trinity over the first three centuries. Um, the church develops a doctrine on um, no salvation outside of the church, which we discussed on the podcast already. Yes. Um, so it's like, okay, well, the, the church can say there's no salvation outside of the Catholic Church, but how does the, what does that look like if you're a Protestant in the 21st century getting baptized? You're baptized. We're not going to rebaptize you into the church, so you are kind of part of the church, but not really. So th there is this like. And slavery is the other big one that like, people like to throw around. I don't really think slavery has developed very much because I think the church was always, you know, pretty specific. The church does not back slave revolts. The church, encourage, you know, in the gospel, the slave goes back oh, to the, his master. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are, you can find... No, in the gospel, what's that in? Is that in uh, the letters of... So, and, and the capital punishment is the other one Paul, that, that um, yeah. Francis has been big on, right? Like, well, there's been an extreme development by Francis in that it, it was not banned. And even in the way that he has articulated it, it doesn't look like it's development of doctrine so much as a development of practice. This is also like ephemeral. Yes. Uh, that, it, that it can look to an outsider as just sort of like, you know, how many angels are on the pin of a needle, right? Well, I think 
I mean, the accusation would be that it's ephemeral on purpose and that it's yeah. to yes. have unity through um, a fog. Right. And I think that like that would be the concern of the Cardinals who are proposing the Juvia. I mean, I was reading, yeah. uh, I got that collection of the Popes Against Modernism. Mm. It's just, I'm going to give it to Aphrodite. Okay. But it's just a series of, you know, when it's, uh, it's a very different way that the Popes are writing in the 19th century. Yes. Than to this writing here. So yes. you've got, and you're going to, I don't have it off the top of my, it's Gregory someone. 16th. It is 16th. Yeah. And then uh, 30 years later. Pius the Ninth. Yeah. Going through all the individual yeah, yeah. modernists. And it's like, and yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, it, it'll be something as, they're just very direct. Yes, they're very direct. They're, yeah. You're saying this, that's not true yeah. for this reason. Done. Let him be anathema. Yeah. 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 At you go. Yep. See if we get anything close to that that can be. Well, no, we won't. Of Do you think it's won't. just going to be. It's, it's going all going to be, gonna be like throughout? that. It's all going to be like that, right. I'm sure. Dubium regarding the assertion that the widespread practice of blessing same-sex unions is in accordance with Revelation and the Magisterium. Yep. So that that does boil it down. Yes. <clears throat> so this is what they have. So they've started with this sort of like process and yep. now they're going to the principle. Specifics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they've started with the principle. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, and, and they've come going, to the, yeah. uh, the current day. The particular, yeah. According to the divine revelation attested in sacred scripture, which the church teaches, quote, listening to it devoutly, guarding it scrupulously and explaining it faithfully in accord with the divine commission and with the help of the Holy Spirit, end quote, Dei Verbum 10. Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. Quote, in the beginning, end quote, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them and blessed them to be fruitful. And then the Genesis quote. And hence the Apostle Paul teaches that denying sexual difference is the consequence of denying the Creator. In Romans, we ask, can the church deviate from this principle? Quote, unquote, considering it in contrast to what was taught in Veritatis Splendor, 103, as a mere ideal and accept as a possible good objectively sinful situations such as unions with persons of the same sex without departing from the revealed doctrine. What is Veritatis Splendor? Uh, it was an encyclical that John Paul II wrote in the early 1990s ar- around basically, like it's called, so Veritatis Splendor means the splendor of the truth. Right. And it was about the moral teaching of the church. And not, as, he, not as a mere ideal, but as creation and reve- revelation. Yeah, and, and he's affirmed the traditional teaching on morality in this encyclical. And it was very controversial because this hadn't been done for a couple of decades, basically. So right. it went through contraception, same-sex marriage, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, Things that uh, the church, at a, Asia, at a abortion. parish level, the church doesn't teach necessarily yeah. uh, very loudly all yeah. the time, yeah. but which has not changed. Yeah, and the Pope's come out in the 1990s and gone, Nothing's changed. We still believe this stuff. Yeah, it's a gangster move. Here's Francis's response. Mm. In all, up to G. Okay. A. The Church has a very clear understanding of marriage: an exclusive, stable, and indissoluble union between a man and a woman, naturally open to procreation. Only this union can be called marriage. Other forms of union realize it only in a quote partial and analogous way. From Amoris. Letizia. Letizia. And that, who's that? That's Francis. That's Francis. Man, does he just quote himself? Yeah. Okay. That's cool. So they cannot strictly be called marriage. Not. 
Okay, B, it is not just a matter of names, but the reality we call marriage has a unique, essential constitution that requires an exclusive name not applicable to other realities. It is undoubtedly much more than a mere ideal. Mm. C, for this reason the church avoids any type of rite or sacramental that might contradict this conviction and suggest that something that is not marriage is recognised as marriage. Mm. Okay, D, however... In our relationships with people, we must not lose the pastoral charity which should permeate all our decisions and attitudes. The defense of objective truth is not the only expression of this charity. It also includes kindness, patience, understanding, tenderness, and encouragement. Therefore, we cannot be judges who only deny, reject, and exclude. Therefore, pastoral prudence must adequately discern whether there are forms of blessing requested by one or more persons that do not convey a mistaken concept of marriage. For when a blessing is requested, it is expressing a plea to God for help, a supplication to live better, a trust in a father who can help us live better. If, on the other hand, although there are situations that are not morally acceptable from an objective point of view, the same pastoral charity requires us not to simply treat as sinners, other people whose guilt or responsibility may be mitigated by various factors affecting subjective accountability. St. John Paul II. G. Decisions that may be part of pastoral prudence in certain circumstances should not necessarily become a norm. That is, it is not appropriate for a diocese, a bishop's conference, or any other ecclesial structure to constantly and officially enable procedures or rituals for all kinds of matters, because not everything, quote, that is part of a practical discernment in particular circumstances can be elevated to the level of a rule, as this would, quote, lead to an intolerable Casuistry. Causistry. Yeah. yeah, that's in Amoris Laetitia. Yeah. Canon law should not and cannot cover everything, nor should Episcopal conferences with their varied documents and protocols claim to do so, as the life of the church flows through many channels other than normative ones. Yep. I mean, ugh, there's so much there. Okay, so first of all, I want to say, like, we haven't actually touched on yet... Um, homosexuality because we haven't come up to that point in the catechism and i'm conscious of like this is probably going to be released this week and so i don't want to like preempt that um but i think we're going to have to deal with it so obviously the church does teach that homosexuality the the acts um homosexual acts are sinful as they teach that all acts outside of marriage that are sexual in nature are sinful um and because a homosexual person cannot marry a homosexual person within the Catholic Church, then any homosexual activity is objectively sinful. Right. right? Um, now, that's very different to saying any homosexual is a sinner by virtue of their um, subjective inclinations, right? Because we're all sinners. Um, I'm a sinner. I'm a very great sinner. I know homosexual people who are far less sinful than I am. Um but, th but th to, for them to act on those inclinations would be a sin. As it would be a sin for you to act on the inclination if you walked down the street and saw a pretty girl and you thought, gee, she's, she's a bit of all right, you know? Is that wrong? <laughs> oh, it's no. wrong to act on it. I wish we'd gotten to that part of the catechism sooner. My wife's been furious with me. No, but yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, so adultery in the heart is adultery indeed, Christ says, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and so 
because of that, and and there is a debate going on within the church around this very thing at the moment, right? Whether or not we should describe the inclination or um, at all as an inclination. Right? Yes. Like, how do we put it? So a, the catechism that we're about to go through uses yeah. the words intrinsically disordered. Intrinsically disordered, yeah. yes. Which is a Aristotelian framework around it, um, which is to say that, like, in, in Aristotle's idea of things, right, like, we incline ourselves to flourishing or not. Right, so like we order ourselves to the good, yes. which is by our habits, or we order ourselves to not our good by our habits. And that uh, the the good of a sexual intercourse is child rearing, yep. and so to be so the end of sex is to have kids, right? The purpose of sex is children, right? And so to ejaculate anywhere other than your wife's genital, yeah, uh, is is disordered. You do distill the church's sexual teaching down to a very fine point, James. Well, I just, yeah. you know, let's not literally beat around the bush here. <laughs> yes. So, and look, I, like, I've got a, uh, uh, you know, I, I know gay people who are Catholic and yeah. who don't act I mean, okay, but this is in, what the church... Is, and sure. I know people who, who are gay and do act in inclinations who are also Catholic. And I've had conversations about this and they have, even the, those who are... Non not practicing their homosexuality or not acting on their inclinations, um, have said they don't like this language, and they've got understandable arguments for why that's the case, right? Because they think, well, I was born this way because I, I you know, like this is not something that I'm actively. I have doing. read in, you know, actually very conservative um, journals, people saying, well, what is the purpose of, uh, you know, a same-sex attracted person? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, in the God don't make no mistakes yeah, school sure. of um, theological right. exegesis, but of saying, you know, like closeness to being a man and having yeah. close relationships yeah. with men is not yeah. a bad thing and not wanting to do that and that uh, that there are many other non-sexual relationships in our lives that are meant to be bringing us fulfillment and that this is... Uh, and you quite know, rightly, I've had gay Catholics say to me, like, Where, what is my place here? You know, what... You know, like there is no clear road for me as a Catholic um, to live out my life, right? Yes. I mean, to be fair, there are also men who've had a lot of gay sex mm. who we've known who have come along to Mass and have said, I wish the church would be a bit tougher on those yeah, pufters sure. yeah. because uh, it helped me and it'll help them. And yeah. Why all this namby-pamby nonsense? And you go, come on, mate. This. Well, look, I'll put it this way. I think it's... It's a real problem, right? Because we live in a culture where homosexuality is um, very public, very allowed, very encouraged, right? And and the church needs to grapple with that in some way that, that makes sense. So in Germany, the bishops have started blessing same-sex marriages, and I think in Sweden or Switzerland as well. One of the SW. Are they using that terminology? Yeah, they are. Okay. Yeah. And, and this is, and I think Francis is very unhappy about it. Um, I think Francis is doing his best to make that not, a schismatic act, right? Right, so he's saying if you're so he's doing very this clear. on the, a start, pastoral level... Yeah. Well, he's saying, first of all, this first is what marriage wrong. is. Marriage yep. is this, there's nothing else that can come close to it, right? Any other relationship, a friendship even, right, can be analogous to a marriage, but is not a marriage, and we shouldn't call it that. Shouldn't start blessing friendships. Yeah. Um, he's also, he's making a fine pastoral point when he says, uh, you know, we can't make laws by exceptions, obviously, right? Because they'll be bad laws. But all laws, if you read the Code of Canon Law, all of them have exceptions, right? 
because you have to have exceptions for laws. But well, you can't are, make laws by the exception. I, th- I, I mean, exception is not um, the term I would use in every case, but in right. terms of something like... Uh, Except in pastoral necessity is almost the end of every canon, right? Like, <laughs> uh, and, and for good reason, which is that like you can't um, legislate virtue, right? You can't legislate the good in all instances. You have to allow for a, a, a dynamic principle of charity to, to be at play. And that's what the church is for, right? It's to enculturate people into a community of virtue where they will know and do the good. Um, and the laws are there to guide them. Yeah, look, on, I, I see this on some mad... Look, I got we got three kids. Yeah. Uh, in no pastoral necessity, uh, am I allowed to use a, a condom? Yes. Right? So, I mean, this is there is no question about that. Yeah. That uh, whereas in... You know, in many Orthodox communities, pastoral necessity would be brought in at that point. At, yes. In certain yep. circumstances, yep. not always. But there are many matters, including, you know, sexual ones, mm. where the church does draw a hard line. Yes. And say even, you know, something like masturbation, where a person might feel, might be addicted to something. Sure. We might say, oh, the extent to which that's a mortal sin mm is mitigated by, by other factors, factors yeah. but it is uh, it is a disordered and sinful thing yeah. Yeah. that is happening. Lying. There are many reasons sure. to lie. There yeah. are many ways that I think a person who had told a lie might not have committed a mortal sin, sure. but this under no circumstance means that lying it's is good. elevated yeah. to a good. Yeah. Yeah. And if the church started to have ceremonies, sure. which made out to be that in some circumstances... This thing that is mitigated and yeah. wrong yeah. is actually good. Yes. That is a change of church teaching. So I think like... The, the Not ex- just a redevelopment. An example that I would pick out of the air would be like, um, you know, nice gay couple um, adopted a kid uh, or nice lesbian couple have had, you know, artificial insemination. They've, they've had a baby. Yep. And they rock up to the local parish and they say, we want our child baptised. That's a sticky issue, right, for the priest who then goes, you don't want to deny the child baptism, but also one of the conditions of baptism is that you're confident this child's going to be raised in In the the faith. faith. Yeah. But also the priest will do this to basically anyone else, right? Like anybody can walk off a street and ask for their child to be baptized. The priest's going to do it. There are many other signs. They're not going to monitor whether or not this person's going to go to Mass on Sundays. Most people who get their kids baptized in the Catholic Church don't go to Mass on Sundays. Yeah, they want to get in the school and make nonna happy. Let's say the lesbians are coming to Mass every Sunday. Well. Right? And then it's like, okay, well, here is a tricky problem because, or a divorced or remarried man who's on his second marriage and presents his child for baptism. Would happen all the time. All the time, right? And it's like, well, we look the other way for that. Why don't we look the other way for this? Like, and, and like, I'm not saying I'm an advocate for like the blessing of same-sex unions by saying this, but I'm saying that the you whole are an advocate for turning divorcees away. I, well, let's make let's go let's make it no, consistent in that. the other direction. I, I think like what Francis is saying is right in that there is a pastoral pray the divorcee away. <laughs> <laughs> there is a Sorry. pastoral need to deal with these things that needs to be consistent. Yeah. Um, and it's not at the moment. Uh, and that is a problem. And I think there are some people who want it to be consistent in one way mm. and there are other people who want it to be consistent in another. Yes. Right? And that is a problem. And what the Holy Father is responding there, which is saying he's kind of had his cake and eat it too. He's saying, well, this is marriage. 
can't be anything else. You can't bless it. You can't ritualize it. You can't officially say this is a good thing. But also, we don't want to discourage people who are rocking up to mass if they're trying, because this could be the start of something, right? Like this could be the start of a movement in, of grace in their lives towards a more perfect. We want people coming along. So it's, it is hard, right? I mean, I have sympathy for the Holy Father in this instance. What is difficult about this is he's having this conversation in a very out loud way, right? Like most, most of the time in the past, this has been done fairly discreetly. Discreetly. Yeah. He is encouraging this to be done. He's like, let a million flowers bloom sort of thing, right? Like, let's just have a mess and How see what happens. How did that end? Um, yeah. did it, I wonder. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Does that, do you think that was a good answer? I don't well, know. Well, no, no, yeah. look, I... That's a context for that. So when he's saying things like, um, you know, the life of the church flows through many channels other than normative ones. Yeah. What is being said there? Well, I, I think what he is saying, and, I'm, and I think fairly... Canon uh, law cannot and should not cover everything. Yes. Right. So, like, again, that, and that's the instance of, like, a divorcee who's remarried secularly who rocks up to church and says, I want my kids baptised, right? Like, there is no... There's no canon really of how to deal with this. There's no, like, you know, the, the, the life of the church does not operate on norms on this stuff. It's, like, kind of left up to the priest to figure out what to do. Um, you know, and various dioceses or conferences will get together and say, well, here's a program. But that's always going to be different for every person. But surely there is an answer and there is a one right thing to do in every circumstance. Right, because what I don't want to become, I don't want to be sure. But also what we were saying in part one yeah. is about the importance of more fully understanding the faith right and, and the way that that's expressed can i get personal jimmy can okay I, can i and it's for you oh, okay. yeah so you rocked up to mass sure with your living girlfriend yes right yeah um not an ideal situation sure um you you can sort of go there are two ways you can go here right like you can come down a hardest ton of bricks like i apparently did which i don't think i did um or you can say, well, this is not an ideal situation, yeah. but there's a way in which you can work with these people to get them into a, to a more ideal and more perfect life. Right? Yes. And it's like, okay, and that's you do that through accompaniment, you do that through charity, you do that through not sort of going straight off the bat, you're a fucking sinner, get the fuck out, right? Like, I, I'm with you, and yeah. I think we would be on the same yeah. end of, you know, if someone with a wacky... Um, lifestyle arrangement showed sure. up to mass, yeah. being thrilled that they were there. Yeah, exactly. And being yeah. able to engage them in conversation. Yeah. That's quite different from saying, if someone shows up with their living girlfriend, don't worry about marriage. Sure. We've we've got a thing for you too. Yeah, and, yeah. and you're great the way you are. Yes. And uh, there's no way for you to ever get happier than you are now. Yeah. And you're living the fullness of the truth. Look, Which I seems to be what the German uh, bishops... I think what the German for. bishops are doing is wrong. Right. Do you um, read that as Francis denouncing I, that? I think Francis also thinks they're wrong. But do yes. you think he's saying that in his response to the dubious? I think he's, well, he kind of is. Yeah. He's also kind of saying, just don't make it official. Right. Don't make it official. He's saying, basically, he's going... I will turn a blind eye if you don't I think make the fact this that the conference, Bishop Jemper of his conference come out and said, this is, we're going to do this together and we're absolutely doing this, we're doing this publicly, we're doing this very loudly. He's yeah. saying, that's wrong. Don't do that. Right. He's saying, you can do things privately right right like you you don't make a ritual for it you don't make it a, a sacramental you can if they come up for a blessing i think he seems like he's in favor of that so you would so it's something like can you give up if i if i go out with you yeah 
you know, we'd rock up to a German parish. I just want yeah. to understand what this would look like. Sure. And you're my boyfriend. You and me with these moustaches. Gosh, it's, it's all yeah. I've ever wanted. But yeah. we've, we're in Germany together. <laughs> it's beautiful. We're having a nice time. I walked in the cold air. <laughs> the feeling is gone. It's just you and I. And I know that's Vienna, but still. We'd make a beautiful gay couple. And we go, Father, would you bless our closeness? Union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, our friendship. friendship. Yeah. I mean, first of all, who's asking for a a blessing of a relationship? I mean, I would yeah. I wouldn't ever ask for my my mother and I to have our sure. I, look, I I don't disagree. Relationship with you. I don't disagree with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, can is that a thing that can be blessed? But but I think what he's saying, and I, again, I don't agree with him really. But what he is saying is like we shouldn't turn these people away. We should recognize that there is. And this is the same thing we talked about in terms of like other faiths, right? We should recognize the truth wherever it is. Yeah. And he's saying, well, there's something in these people that's yearning for a relationship. And they're asking for that yearning to be blessed, right? Like, and they're doing this in a very imperfect way, but they are doing it as best they can. And we should not alienate them by turning them away and saying, you're not in the club. Now, I think that's the wrong way of approaching the situation. I disagree with the Holy Father on this, but I think that is kind of what he's saying. Okay. And I'm, and I think we are free to disagree in prudential matters in the church on these things. I think, you know, and the Holy Father is encouraging this, right? He's, he's calling a meeting about it. He's saying, let's get together and have a chat about it. And you can say whatever you want. Um, I'm not invited to the meeting, the podcast isn't big enough for that yet. But maybe the next synod will get invited. Dubium regarding the assertion that synodality is, quote, a constitutive dimension of the church and that such that the church is by nature synodal. Look, would you read this one because my, my mouth is sore. Do we have a lubrication? Did anyone bring piss? <laughs> I didn't. I thought you were going to bring piss. No, nah, I was late. I'm going on the ABC after this. Oh, so I was trying oh. to stay sober. I'm sorry. You're not going to have beers in the house. Sorry. Dang it. Sam's a better man than we are. All right. Um, since the Synod of Bishops does not represent the Episcopal College, but is merely an advisory body of the Pope, as bishops, witnesses of the faith, cannot delegate their confession of the truth, it is asked whether synodality can be the supreme regulatory criterion of the permanent governance of the Church without distorting its constitutive structure desired by its founder, whereby the supreme and full authority of the Church is exercised both by the Pope, by virtue of his office, and by the College of Bishops together with their head, the Roman Pontiff, Lumen Gentium 22. Okay. Can you have a synod that replaces a council? So, yeah, I mean... So what what the question is here is the constitution of the church says there is the Pope, who's the head of the church, mm -hmm. and he governs the church with supreme jurisdiction. He governs it with the college of bishops who are in communion with him. Um, and periodically, since Vatican II, we've had these things called synods, right? Every couple of years, the Pope asks select bishops from around the world to come to Rome and have a chat about something. But this synod is always a kind of like formality Right, because the, the bishops sit around, they have a discussion, they submit their their decisions to the pope, and then the pope says what he wants, and the pope says what he wants. Cool, and the pope can override it, or the pope can agree with it. So what they're saying is, okay, well, the synod is not rep is not the episcopal college that governs with you over the full church. Um, it's merely an advisory body of the pope. So why is it that we're having this meeting, which yeah. seems to be setting these criteria um, for how the church is going to be run pastorally in the future? 
uh, because that seems to fly in the face of what we believe. Well, we also know that the Pope teaching alone is, is sufficient. Is sufficient. Yes. Um, when he's te- teaching infallibly, right? But when he's when he's supposed to, when he's governing the church day to day, that's meant to be done with the bishops. Yeah. I mean, part of that is a problem that we've got too many bishops. That is a big problem. Yeah, we have a lot of bishops. Like the it number of very the number of bishops problem, at yeah. this synod, yeah, might look like the number of bishops at a previous council. It's exceeds the bishops at many councils in the past. Yeah. So, can right. we have a winnowing? Let's have the response by the Holy Father. All right. Hey, although you acknowledge that the supreme and full authority of the church is exercised both by the Pope by virtue of his office and by the College of Bishops together with their head, the Roman Pontiff. With these very questions, you manifest your need to participate, to freely express your opinion and to collaborate thereby requesting a form of synodality in the exercise. Wow, that's that's fierce. Yeah, he's... Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, you're right, huh? Even by asking me the question, you're doing it. He's smart, man. The church is a beat. The church is a mystery of missionary communion. Communion, but this communion is not only effective or ethereal, it necessarily implies real participation. Not only the hierarchy, but the entire people of God in various ways and at different levels can make their voices heard and feel part of the church's journey. In this sense, we can say that synodality as a style and dynamism is an essential dimension of the church's life. On this point, St. John Paul II had some very beautiful things in Novo Millennio Innuente, which was a very controversial document that John Paul II released. So this is a bit of a kind of yeah that's that's a snarky thing to say as well this is a much better way to do this see it is quite another thing to sacralize or impose a particular synodal methodology that appeals to one group turning into a norm and an obligatory path for everyone because this would only freeze the synodal journey ignoring the different characteristics of the particular churches and the varied richness of the universal church this is very francis this is very as a friend of mine calls him chaos frank um, I'm seeing that happen a lot. Yeah. But he's... Why... And we can question why he would desire for it to be chaotic. But in what, in what sense is what you've just read especially chaotic? Because he's saying like, yeah, I'm not saying this is the normative way in which the church should be governed. I'm but just saying how what I'm, I'm doing it right now. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is what like... I mean, Pope Francis is, I think, a very authoritarian pope. Um, he is the most authoritarian pope we've had in a long time because ultimately it all boils down to what he wants to say. Um, and he has these meetings where he ostensibly tries to like have his... Make it look like some yeah. togetherness is occurring. Yeah, and then he'll just come out and say what he wants. Um, and again, like people are going to get upset with the criticism of that. But it is... Yeah, I mean, I am critical of it. What have you got in front of Sammy? What is No. No, Sammy. You beautiful man, To Sam. To To the Holy Father. To the Holy Father. Oh, is that a sparkling? I think it's a Red Coopers. Ooh. Okay. Oh, that has absolutely gotten me ready for the next few. What's the time stamp on this, Sam? So far. 50. All right, Best man, this power is going to be a long episode. Yeah. Right. Jubium regarding the support of pastors and theologians for the theory that the theology of the church has changed and the thus new the, the sacramental ordination of women can be confirmed. So this is what the, the, the cardinals wrote. Following the statements of some prelates, which have 
neither been corrected nor retracted, claiming that with Vatican II, the theology of the church and the meaning of the mass have changed. It is asked whether the dictum of the Second Vatican Council is still valid, which states that the common priesthood of the faithful and the ministerial priesthood differ essentially and not only in degree, Lumen Gentium 10, and the priests by the sacred power of the order to offer sacrifice and forgive sins act in the name and person of Christ the mediator through whom the spiritual sacrifice of the faithful is made perfect. It is also asked whether the, let, whether the teaching of St. John Paul II's apostolic letter, Ordinatio Sacerdotalis, is still valid, which teaches as a truth to be held definitively the impossibility of conferring priestly ordination on women. This seems like a lot of reasons that women can't be priests. So th- this teaching is no longer subject to change or free discussion by pastors or theologians. It's more than just the ordination of women, because this is actually about whether or not there is a different, whether or not the, the sacramental priesthood exists. Right. Okay. Um, and this is a, a kind of like hot button topic after Vatican II. So not just who can, I mean, they're saying that the reason that it has to be uh, men is because that is the, there is a. So basically, sacramental change. So basically, the, the church has always held that there is a difference between priests and laity, mm-hmm. and that the priest, when conferred with the sacrament of holy orders has this ontological change, which right. we've discussed when we've done the sacraments. We haven't been Protestants have hated this forever. Yep. The Lollards, the priest is just the same as me. Exactly, yeah. So there's been an ongoing debate for hundreds of years in the church. At Vatican II, they've essentially said, yep, that's true, but also the baptised, and we talked about this as well, have a type of priesthood by virtue of their baptism. Yes. Which was a big thing that Luther was on about, right? So people sort of thought this is like, oh, the church has conceded something to Luther. Um, so the Catholic Church has said, yes, there is a there is a priesthood of the baptized, which is to say that you and me were baptized Catholics. When we go to mass, we we also offer something at the mass, mm-hmm. right? We don't offer the Eucharist, but we participate in the Eucharist, right? Our, through our sufferings, through our prayers, all that stuff, right? So then, after the council, you have people who we don't do this. People who get drunk on the council and go, well, that means there's no difference between the priesthood of the baptized and the priesthood of the priests, right? Like we're all priests now. Mm. We all can offer sacrifice. We can all pray to and God. And since women are admitted to the priesthood of so the why baptized, yeah. why disallow them the priesthood of the... Exactly, exactly. So John Paul II came out in the late 80s and said, this is the, this is the way that Christ is conscious to the church. And as the Pope, I do not have the power to override Christ. He's, and he sort of said, so there's discussion about whether or not this is an infallible teaching. Yes. Seems like he's used this infallible language, but he didn't say anything positive. All he said was, I don't have the authority to change this because I'm only the Pope. I'm well, not the author of the church. Let's see what the, all right. So the response, A, the common priesthood of the faithful and the ministerial priesthood differ essentially. Second Vatican Council. So that's you saying... He's coming out and he's saying, even in the Second Vatican Council, they make very clear these things are are different. It is not appropriate to assert a difference in degree that implies considering the common priesthood of the faithful as something of a second class of lesser value, quote, a lower grade. Both forms of priesthood illuminate and support each other. All right. B, when St. John Paul II, whoa, that B has gone straight to my legs. Can I tell you uh, a new bit I came up with today? I think you're going to. All right. It was just, um, it's if New Zealanders had uh, um, revolted against their government. Mm. 
Oh no, we've got a. It's like you wouldn't be able to tell because they're so cute. But how would that be if, like, in a New Zealand sketch? Anyway, so it's like, oh, we've got a despotic government. Something must be done. We must take up our arms. Let's take up arms. Oh no, but the government took our arms away. Oh, I guess we'll have to take up legs. We'll take up legs against the government. No, I don't want to do that. Why not? If we take up our legs, the government will look up our skirts. <laughs> anyway, it's just a new sketch that I'm working on. <laughs> B, when St. John Paul II taught that we must affirm definitively the impossibility of conferring priestly ordination on women, he was in no way denigrating women and giving supreme power to men. St. John Paul II also affirmed other things. For example, when we speak of priestly authority, quote, we are in the realms of function, not of dignity and holiness. St. John Paul II, Christi Fidelis Laici, Laici. words that we have not sufficiently embraced. This is anti-clericalism. He also clearly held that while the priest alone presides at the Eucharist, the tasks do not favor the superiority of one over the other. Um, and there's a quote there. He also stated that if the priestly function is hierarchical, it should not be understood as a form of domination, but is totally ordered to the holiness of the members of Christ. And that's in another one. Yeah. Uh, if this is not understood and practical consequences are not drawn from these distinctions, it will be difficult to accept that the priesthood is reserved only for men and we will not be able to recognize the rights of women or the need for them to participate in various ways in the leadership of the church. So he's drawing a distinction there that if we, uh, what if we, if we um, reify priests, mm. if we lift them up too much mm-hmm. and we can't have women as priests, that is denigrating to women. Yeah, sure. I mean, I essentially. I can see that. I mean, I, I don't agree, but I can see why he's formulated it that way. Yeah, I mean, I essentially agree with him in a way, which is, I mean, that it there is no like becoming a priest makes you different, sets you apart. Yeah, but it doesn't make you better necessarily, right? Like, well, there are, there are ways in. Which, I mean, it is good for mass to be said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I you're at the service of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I cannot, as a non-priest, cause a mass to occur. Yeah, I well, cannot have a mass on my own. I mean, I think what he's pointing to there is, is that the church would deem listen. Well, so like the the you know, if you're a a, a feminist Catholic, right? Like, and you want um, women's ordination. Yeah. Um, one of the arguments, probably the first and maybe the last argument you make, is that this is like an, a power imbalance. Right? Men can do this and women can't. What's that about? Right? So the church does teach there is a difference between men and women, and one of those differences means that men can be priests and women can't. Um, but if you're looking at things on that domination power imbalance, the sort of Foucaultian power, well, this relations, is not a, an especially Christian way to look at the world. No, and yeah. he's and he's pointing because otherwise that we, away. we would look to God to having power. Yeah, and we would say this is this is disgusting, awful. We Why should build we... a big tower and overthrow him. Yes, very good. Um, so he's saying, yeah, we shouldn't look at it like that. Could it with the power stuff? We shouldn't look at it as domination. Power, hierarchy is not domination. Yeah, yeah. For Jordan Peterson. But, but then he's saying, well, also, we need to have women involved in leadership in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe this is a problem in South America that women aren't involved in leadership in the church, but it's certainly not a problem they in They won't go away. If you look at any... It's women wall to wall. It's all the way down, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you read um, uh, st- uh, who's a wheelchairman? Wheelchair physics. Stephen Hawking's brief history of 
time. I'm definitely not smart enough to read that. Oh. There's just a great bit where someone's giving a lecture on the makeup of the universe. Yeah. And, and a woman stands up yeah. and says, yeah. where, where did you see this? Just turtles. Don't you that. understand? Yeah. It's four. It's a big dish on the back of four elephants. And under that, it's turtles. And the guy's like being a smart ass. What's yeah, under the turtles? It's under the turtles. It's turtles all the way down. Yeah. Who's, who else quoted that? Oh, I don't know. It's a famous story. Is it? Yeah, it's yeah. at the start of his book. I love it. Mm. It's turtles all the way well, down. It's turtles all the way down, yeah. On the other hand, to be rigorous, let us recognise that a clear and authoritative doctrine on the importance of subjugating women... What? No, I'm just joking. I just went on. <laughs> um, let us recognise that a clear and authoritative doctrine on the exact nature of a definitive statement has not yet been fully developed. Oh, hold on. Oh, that's mad. Uh, not in a bad way. Maybe in an exciting way, let us recognize that a clear and authoritative doctrine on the exact nature of a definitive statement has not yet been fully developed. It is not a dogmatic definition, and yet it must be adhered to by all. No one can publicly contradict it, and yet it can still be a subject of study, as with the case of the validity of ordinations in the Anglican Communion. Yeah. What are we saying? We don't have a definitive statement on definitive statements? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's... Uh that's your turtles all the way down. It is turtles all the way down, yeah. Well, and also the definitive study on Anglican ordinations did happen, <laughs> and it was null and utterly void was the solution. So, Is that is he throwing a life raft there to the Anglicans? Uh, no, what he's doing... He's using that as an example? Yeah, what he's doing there, I think, is trying to keep the door open for women's diaconate. You think he'd like women's diaconate? Uh, I don't know if he would like it, but I think it's... There are, there are pressure groups pushing for women's diaconate? Yeah, definitely, yeah. I don't think our episode on the women's diaconate has come out yet. Something for people to enjoy in the future. Uh, all right, number five. I'll read the question and then you can read the response. Okay. Dubium regarding the assertion that forgiveness is a human right and the insistence of the Holy Father on the duty to absolve everyone always so that repentance is not a necessary condition for sacramental absolution. It is asked whether the teaching of the Council of Trent, which states that contrition of the penitent, consisting of detesting the sin committed with the purpose of not sinning again, is necessary for the validity of sacramental confession, is still in force, such that the priest must defer absolution when it is clear that this condition is not met. So again, the context for this would be the same thing as the... Blessing of gay unions, essentially, right? Like, so if you go to confession and you're in a homosexual relationship... Yes. And, and you say, bless me for I've sinned, you know, here are my sins, but also I'm I'm married to a man. Um, the condition for you to be absolved of all of your sins... Must be communion, dissolving must be, that marriage. Yeah, exactly. It must yeah. be you saying, I, I hate this sin and I, and I will not do it again. Well, the act of contrition... Yeah. Uh, is sometimes vaguer than others. You know, the one that they print up for you in the book. <laughs> I, I've been asked not to say I will not sin again. Yeah. You know, I, 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 will, I will not sin again yeah. to, with the help of your yes. you know, love, I will yeah, not yeah. sin again yeah. to, I will do my best not to sin anymore yeah. to... <laughs> I'm sorry. Heebie-jeebie. <laughs> I'll do what I feel like. A, repentance is necessary for the validity of sacramental absolution and implies a resolution not to sin. But there is not mathematics here, and once again, I must remind you that the confessional is not a customs house. We are not masters, but humble stewards of the sacraments that nourish the faith because these gifts of the Lord, more than relics to be preserved, are aids of the Holy Spirit for people's lives. There are many ways to express repentance. 
characters be, often in people who have a very wounded self-esteem, declaring themselves guilty is a cruel torment. But the very act of approaching the confessional is a symbolic expression of repentance and of seeking divine help. C. I also want to recall that sometimes we find it hard to make room for the unconditional love of God in pastoral care where he quotes himself again. But we must learn to do so. Following St. John Paul II, I maintain that we should not demand from the faithful overly precise and certain resolutions of amendment, which ultimately become abstract or even narcissistic, but that even the predictability of a new fall does not prejudice the authentic authenticity of the purpose. Mm. Finally, it must be clear that all the conditions usually attached to confession are not generally applicable when a person is in a state of agony or with very limited mental and psychological cap- capacities. So again, this is... I. Th- this is a, a exceptions laws situation, right? Like exceptions make bad laws. You have to have laws. You have to have rules. You have to have, this is what you should do, right? Somebody comes into the confessional and says, bless me, Father, for I've seen it's been 10 years since my last confession. My wife's just left me. My kids won't speak to me. I'm hitting the bottle every night and I want to fucking kill myself. This is, the, I mean, this is, I mean, this is the very extreme. Sure instance right you say um, the priest then goes well this guy's definitely going to sin again because well the, what's what's the role of the priest here right like what's he supposed to do is he supposed to go hard on this guy and be like this is how you need to sort out your life right because maybe this person needs not that right like actually what the priest needs to do is like meet this person where they're at mm. and be like you've had a bad run sounds awful what's happened what's going on blah 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 um francis is i think finding a straw man here where there is a perception that like certain rigid priests is the way that he would use it, would do that, would sit in the box and just be like, well, this is because you're a sinner um, and you need to sort out this. this yeah, I mean, this. I've, I've been to the most yeah. far wacky right-wing priests. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't happen. Yeah, I, I don't think that happens either, right? I've I've never experienced I'm not saying like it that. hasn't happened in a baby boomer's fever dream. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I don't, I've never seen it. In my experience, yeah, and I've gone to some pretty wacky places. Yeah. Um, you can go into that box and you're going to meet the mercy of God. But there is, a, there is a, I think, a memory maybe of a past Jansenist time where baby boomers did experience this. Mm-hmm. Um, and they think that this is I've been talked all over. I've been attacked, right? I've been in the confessional and yeah. I've had people say, well, stop doing that. Be, yeah. more, be stronger, yeah. be better. Yeah. But at no point has it not concluded with, um, the, you know, but also, it's not the like when you're going. I'm gonna. I'm about to neck myself, father. Right? Like it's yeah. just like I'm going through a bad time, and it's like, well, maybe going through a bad time because you're making shit decisions. Right? Like, well, and the, you're like, yeah, probably. There's also a, an outline there of you know, for some people, even coming in yeah. is a cruel reproach. Yeah. But also, for some people, coming in the booth is can become blithe. I was talking to a mate of mine a couple of years you know ago, yeah. who's a priest, and he was priest in regional. Australia, right? Mm-hmm. Like, doesn't get a lot of people coming to mass. Doesn't get a lot of people coming to the box. He sits in the box every Saturday for like two hours in the afternoon. Yeah, and he would say, you know, maybe five confessions in that period, right? And so, you know, like he's a good guy. He's a good priest, but he's also a man. And it's like you do something for long enough, and you're not actually getting results, and you sort of go, "Why the fuck am I doing this?" Right? Like, why am I sitting in this box for two hours every Saturday when nobody's coming? Mm. And he was telling me the story where he's sitting there and he's decided, oh, you know what? I've got half an hour to go. Maybe I'll just go and get Bester for Mass and, you know, go for a walk and say a rosary or something. Because there's no one here. I haven't heard a confession in an hour. And then somebody comes in and it's their first confession in 20 years. Mm. And he's like, you know, you sit and it's like, it's like Christ on the boat, like cast your net over the side and bring in the big fish, you know? And he's like, I've got a good one here, right? Like this is, this is why I've been sitting in this box for two years doing nothing. It's for this guy, right, mm. to come in. 
And so I'm sure that guy had stuff to say. I don't know what he had to say, right? Obviously, he's not breaking the seal. Um, but I'm absolutely sure this guy would be considered, I think, a rigid priest by a lot of people. Not by me, because I think this guy's just so happy that he's in the box with this guy. And yeah. he gets to go, okay, you're having some difficult stuff. Here's some things that are going to help you. Um, but also, here's what you've done wrong, right? Like, And that's okay, and I can forgive you for that. God can forgive you for that. Well, San Padre Pio would apparently... Just flip out. Get very angry at people. Yeah, but yeah. I think we're not talking about denying somebody. I mean, that's that's a question of priestcraft and style. Exactly, yes. But the dubia being raised here and the response yeah. seemed to be about denying people yeah. the sacrament. Yeah. Um, which read with the other dubia, yeah. seems like that's probably about someone who's divorced, someone who's in a gay relationship, yeah. someone who... And, and whether or not we should... Uh, that, that they should be denied. And what Francis doesn't say is you should give these people absolution. He says absolution needs to be given only where they're contrite for their sins, mm. but also the box isn't just for that sometimes, right? Like there are other ways in which you need to exercise the mercy of God in this instance that's not necessarily the sacrament of forgiveness. And I, but again, I don't know personally any priest that, that's not the first thing they're going to fucking say to you when you ask them what's it like in the box. Like, mm. like I mean, these guys just sit there and listen to the worst shit every fucking day. But is the question being asked there, is the dubia not, we should be allowed to not give absolution? absolution. Yeah, if people in are some not cases. sorry. Yeah. 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 And, but again, I don't think that... Francis is, again, having his cake and eating it too. He's, he's not saying... He's saying, well, maybe you should think about it another way. You, yeah. can't, oh, you don't have to, yeah. but I think you should think about yeah. it. In terms of how hard it is to go into the box. Which I think, and just to finish here, and I, I don't want to smash the Holy Father too much, but it's probably too late for that. But like, yeah, I think he is out of touch, right? Like I think he, I don't think he, and I know bishops. I've known bishops in my life. Mm. And honestly, most of the time, they've got no bloody idea what's going on in their own diocese. Because they're, so they're insulated by like just layers and layers of bureaucracy. This is even truer in Rome than it is in your local curia. Um, they there is a perception about how things work, which is often not the case. Mm. I think. Um, I mean, I know some hard-ass priests who are, you know, would be considered bad eggs, and I don't think these guys are doing this shit at all. Um, maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe there's people out there doing the wrong thing all the time, but I haven't seen it. I've been around. <laughs> Classic Jack turns a blind eye, Blanche. <laughs> Blind eye blanche, <laughs> liturgical, sexual, whatever kind of abuses you're encountering, he will act like they're not happening. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was really good. Look, I mean, I oh, think. Oh, man, that was grueling, Jimmy. Fuck. I think, but I think it's important to. Like a lot of people who are. Who are Catholic, who have not spent years at the seminary, who have not yeah. got theology degrees, will read that as I started to read that at a party and go uh, just beforehand. Susan's uh, 64. Oh. Yeah. Beautiful cake. Mango. She's got a She's coming in. There you go. Very small party. and <laughs> Very small party. Very small, <laughs> mostly for the children. Very small party. Um, but yeah, it's impenetrable. It is. And, and, I, and to hear that much of it is meant to be impenetrable. Here's, yes. I don't understand where this style has come from. Uh, Pope Francis is not the first... Uh, theological writer to write in that way, maybe not even the first pope. Oh, but I mean, I if you go to the, the, the High Court and read their readings, 
it is impenetrable to the layman because this is inside a baseball. You're dealing no, with no sort of, but if you at, at the tell, highest level, yes. Of, if you read, it's but it's a cultural difference. It's not a, a difference of sophistication. Yeah, because if you read, um, if you read the American Supreme Court decisions, yeah, it's cut and dry. You could have you could be a year ten, yeah, and you sure. could make sense of them. Or you could be a very, very sophisticated person trying to understand Marbo. Yeah. Well, your brain's out. Doesn't make a lick of sense. It's it's written in a, in a way in a way that nobody. I think it's quite readable to be honest, but I'm telling you, there's there's a cultural difference there between how things are being written. Right. Because and what, it's it, because it, the, it the, reeks of bad academic writing. The, well, that is born of the universities, and and is a post-war phenomenon. No, I mean the church has always kind of dealt in. Like again, this is this is supposed to be something that that the bishop of Rome is writing to his cardinals, right? Like it's been published for public consumption, and it is difficult. I, I would also just say, I think that, that that like one of the sicknesses you can get into as a Catholic on the internet is following this stuff too much, and it's I like, agree. I, and we I, make I, a rule of not doing I it was in aware general. That it came out, and I didn't look into it for a reason and I would encourage people not to be scandalized or to lose faith about it because ultimately it's Christ's church and whatever like we've had bad popes before like what like you know I'm not I'm not if, saying it's a particular if the holy bad father comes out and does some wacky stuff I after the synod I'll be like whatever right like whatever the pope wants to do in Rome he can do he's the pope do you know we so someone at mass has started we have a uh, like a collections. You know, you have extra stuff at home. You think someone in the community might like it. Mm. It goes on a table in the tea room, yeah. and so uh, someone had a collection of George Orwell's novels nice. that was there. Yeah, you know, not entirely <laughs> perfectly Catholic, but stuff we can all agree on. Yeah. Like condoms suck. It's my favourite from <laughs> Keep the Espadistra Flying. Um, and one of them are these magazines from ninety eight to two thousand eighty two thousand. Uh, no, well, there's those ones, and yeah. then there's uh, the, the small ones. Okay, and there it's an Australian conservative Catholic magazine. Yeah, um, and it'll be you know you'll be flipping through it, and it'll, it'll be something about Obama. Sure, and it's like oh, did you know Obama said yeah. this, and thanks Obama, and that, yeah, yeah, and that you know if in a particularly nasty mood that he was day, born in Nigeria, Ratzinger said this yeah, about sure. what Obama, and you go, this is. This seems like some real heavy shit yeah. to the person writing it. Sure. With the distance of 10 years. Yeah, it 15 matter. years. Yeah. It's not even... It doesn't... It's not... It, it doesn't exist in memory yeah. even. It's nothing. Yeah. It's less than nothing. And yes. I feel like if even if we just raise this once to dismiss it and move on, as yeah. well, we won't be dealing with that. Yeah. If you desperately want to read something to make you angry into what we've just gone through, you can do it. You can. And also, if you desperately want to cling to the unity of the church and read that into it, yeah. you can do that too. Yeah. Um, it, it's been written for that purpose. Yeah. It doesn't change the faith. Yeah. It doesn't. It shouldn't shake the faith. Yeah. It just, at the end of it, now that we've come to the end, it's just a sort of boring document. It kind of is, yeah. Mm. And it's just, yeah, like, I mean... It's interesting only on the political level, I think, where it's sort of like Ooh, interesting they published hands. it, and it's interesting that Francis was kind of catty at some points, uh, you know. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, I've I followed this stuff for years, and at some point you just go, this doesn't help me pray. Yes, this doesn't help me become a better person. I'm not more charitable than my neighbor. I'm not. I don't love God more for having read that. No, I, no. 
Well, you know. So why? We'll never do so it again. Cares? Maybe it was a mistake to bring it up. Do you think it was it was worth going through? For oh, anybody? look, you're probably right that there would be people upset about it. So maybe and maybe those people watch our podcast. Who knows? Well, I'm glad we've dispensed with it. Yeah. Now let's never speak of it again. <laughs>